Ivy and the CIA, an interview with Emily Shea. Hi, everybody. We have with us Emily. Welcome to our podcast. Hello. My name is Emily. I'm 25 years old. I'm a single mom. Um, I have a three-year-old. And currently, I am running an ice cream shop in D.C. It's called Barranco's Ice Cream in Eastern Market in Capitol Hill. And then I'm also taking a cybersecurity course at American University to try and, you know, further my education, um, make sure that I can make something of myself for my son and that he has a legacy to um, build up after me. Emily, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name is Dan. I will be getting to know you along with our listeners as we ask you questions and you answer those questions. Let me tell you why we have this podcast and why we invited you on. So um, we put this podcast together to have guests from different backgrounds, different life experiences, so you could share your story. Because what we know to be true is that in order for somebody to live their best life, um, that it's not about staying in your bubble, right? And just listening to the same people all the time. It's about having access to people you may have never come across Mm -hmm. and to hear your story and to hear the way you answer questions. You may say something to them they've heard for the first time or maybe the fifth time they're hearing it, but the way you say it or something about your background or story may connect with them. And so that one thing you said might lead them to take a new action and have a whole new life experience. So um, we just want to hear your story and we just want to learn from you. Um, And I'm excited to uh, continue this forward. So I'll start with just some clarifying questions on your thing. Um, Tell us more about what you say is an ice cream shop or is it Mm -hmm. like a food truck or what is it exactly? So it's an ice cream shop. It's called Marenko's. My boss has, she's now, this is her fifth store that she's opened up. Um, She's been around for over 15 years. You know, her kids grew up all over, you know, building this ice cream. Um, We have a factory in Silver Spring where we actually hand make our own ice cream every single day and it gets delivered to all of our shops um, in Eastern. er, So I have the shop in D.C. that I run and I manage. Um, And then we have one in Montgomery Mall in Bethesda. We have one in Ellicott City. The one in Montgomery Mall is just like a kiosk. So it's just kind of like one of those small little uh, food places that people go to. It's really nice because my shop, we finally just added some coffee. So I believe it's like Viennese coffee that we offer. Um, we're baking cookies. So we're trying to, you know, get really get out there and really um, make money through the winter because it's going to be slow. And, you know, not everybody wants ice cream during the winter, but um, managing it allows me to manage my own schedule so I can uh, take the time to be with my son, and then also take the time for school and make sure that I have, you know, enough time and just, just being able to make my own schedule helps contribute to being a single mom a lot better because I can be a little bit more flexible. So other than ice cream being delicious, what was the reason you got into that field of work? So obviously Corona happened and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And being a single mom, I was like, obviously I still have to pay for my child. Um, My son still needs diapers. He still needs food. So I was like, I just don't know what to do. Um, One of my best friends, her aunt was looking to open this shop and wanted her to run it, but she was uh, just, she was busy with her job at Top Golf and she was just not interested. And so she actually, you know, suggested I do it. And so I talked to her and I was like, you know, I don't know, you know, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can. I was like, how am I going to manage? You know, nobody's going to listen to me. They're going to think I'm too young. They're not going to think I have experience, but I personally know from my resume that I, 
I didn't go to school. I didn't go. To, I went to high. I went to college right out of high school, but I wasn't really serious about it. So I started working with my dad's moving company, and that gave me a lot of experience as far as like management and um, being able to lead like a team of people. And so when she told me that I was going to be managing it, I was a little nervous, but I knew that with my background and with the knowledge that I had and that I had for my dad, that I didn't think it was going to be that hard. Plus, I knew that I wanted to be able to make my own schedule. And that's really been like the biggest thing is that having that flexibility to just be able to do that. And, and just to see how much you have grown over the years, because everybody here will find out that I've known you since you were born <laughs> and that we will always have that special connection. Mm-hmm. You're like a little sister to me. Uh, I'm very proud of you. Not because life was easy for you, but I'm very proud of you of never giving up on yourself. Very proud of you about that. It's, you know, it's definitely been hard. I can't say that I didn't give up, but I know like, so in the beginning when I first, you know, was working for my dad's moving company, it was really exciting because, you know, we had this family business that was paying for our cars, paying for our house, like it was paying for everything. And uh, we were getting the knowledge. I was also working with my dad, which was really exciting for me because I always, you know, me and my dad were always close. And so being able to learn from him, especially him being so smart was, you know, super exciting. Um, But unfortunately, around the time that I got pregnant in 2017, uh, my mom decided to leave my dad. And at that point, my dad decided to sell the moving company, which kind of you know, obviously I was going to have a baby. I didn't have a job. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I didn't really have the best baby father, you know, there. Um, he's not really been there since, you know, the beginning. So once the moving company got sold, we were living in a house and we actually had to leave that house because we obviously couldn't afford it. And at that point, I had my son. After I had my son, we basically had to move until now, 2020, in my apartment currently where I'm at right now, me and my son moved a total of 22 times. And that was sometimes every month, every two months. But it was always a matter of, you know, I and at that point, I was working two to three jobs. I was always working two to three jobs. I never stopped working. I sacrificed time with my son. But obviously, in Montgomery County, it is, it, I couldn't from paying the babysitter, paying my car, trying to pay for food. Like it's just, it just didn't really, you know, work out. So after all those times, there was a time where finally I decided to go stay with um, one of my friends, but where she was at was kind of, you know, it wasn't the nicest place. I couldn't really, I couldn't really keep my son there. So I had to sacrifice obviously staying there. And I let my son live with the babysitter which is probably one of the hardest times of my life because imagine trying to take care of a kid, but not being able to go see your kid because every single time you go, you have to leave, you know, and he doesn't get to come with you. You have to literally say hello, spend time with him, enjoy it, and then turn around and say goodbye and just leave. And that was probably one of the hardest things for me. And it got me in a really, really dark place. And so finally, I just was so depressed. I was so upset about it every single day. I just, you know, would cry all the time. I didn't even want to go see him because it hurt me too much. And I thought I was like traumatizing him every single time I would leave. You know, he would think that like my mom, my mom is abandoning me or, you know, something like that. So 
after that, I decided to go to the shelter. And that was one of the, that was probably the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Going from growing up in a house that is a really big house with a lot of money and a family that has a lot of money and realizing that you don't really have that help anymore from anybody to back you up, to, to save you, you know, like how you have your parents, like it's okay if I fail because mommy and daddy will be there to help me. But at this point, like, you know, mommy and daddy aren't there anymore. And now my son only has me. He doesn't really have his dad. He's not there. He's not there financially at all. So I made the decision to go to the shelter and it was probably one of like the scariest decisions I've ever made. Um, walking into social services and telling them that you don't have anywhere to go and them telling you that you're homeless is kind of like scary. Your story is incredible. And I'm sure there are going to be listeners that are going to really connect with you. Uh, they may not have had the same story, but they've had aspects of their story that aligns with yours. Um, one of the questions that Ivy and I ask everybody in our coaching is if I was a genie, and I could just grant you one wish. What would be that wish and why? But I want to give some rules. Uh, you can't wish for more wishes. You can't mm-hmm. wish to become the wish giver. What would be the wish you'd ask for? I think that one of the wishes that I would get would to be able to go back in time. Um, I think if I could go back in time and know what I know now, even just the past two, three years, I feel like I would be a lot more successful in my life. And I would be, instead of being here, I would be able to be here. Because, again, the knowledge that I've learned, like the fighting that I've gone through, um, thinking that, you know, I'm not going to have anywhere to live or, or not knowing what my next step is, not, not knowing where I'm going to be, not knowing, you know, having to tell somebody that you're leaving to go out to work. And then, especially in the shelter, when you have to let them know where you're going, like what time you're coming back. If you don't come back by a certain time, you get, you know, you get your bed taken away. Um it just, I think that I would just have a lot more knowledge to be able to make the proper decisions in my life instead of knowing that the reason that I'm here is obviously because of the consequences of the choices that I made in my life. And because I am the one who made those decisions, it's my responsibility to get myself out of that situation no matter how bad it gets. Because it's not, nobody made that decision for me. I did it all on my own. And now I have to live with the consequences that come from making a wrong decision. And it's not easy. It's not easy to overcome. Obviously I have this as proof that, you know, it's, it's not easy, but I literally continue to fight as much as I can every single day now, because I don't just have myself to live for anymore. You know, he does, he, whenever, when, when, I have nobody else to rely on. He has to rely on me. It's my responsibility to make sure that he's good and that he gets to the next place and that he learns properly and that he doesn't make the same mistakes that I made. I am curious. Um, this is usually a connected or follow-up question to the genie question, but you kind of combine them, which is if you had a time machine and could go back. So you're saying your wish would be to go back in time. So then the question would be, and you say you basically would have knowledge of the future, right? If you go back in time. But if you could give specific advice to your younger self, what would be that specific advice you'd give when traveling back in a time machine? So the one thing that I've actually been thinking about a lot, and this is a conversation I've had with a lot of people that I've encountered who I went to high school with and everything like that. When we were in high school, you take these classes that they tell you that are good for you. 
So the classes that you have to take that you know, okay, I'm going to take pre-algebra, I'm going to take algebra, I'm going to take calculus one, two, three, four, and and get up to where you need to be. We had this class in my in my high school, and we called it the um, we basically called it the retard math class. And that math class was actually one of the most real math classes. You learn how to write a check. You learn how to balance a checkbook. You learn about mortgages. You learn about taxes. You learn about real life. You learn about making your credit score go well. Like you learn about, you know, just starting a credit card or doing any things like that just to be able to live in the world. But in high school, the mentality that they give you is that those are not the classes that you take. Those are the classes that all the people who are failing or drug addicts or whatever they take, you know? So it's not setting yourself up financially with your credit. That is definitely something that I think is so, so important in life and just learning small little life skills, just as something as simple as learning a checkbook. Because I know so many people who don't know how to write a check. They don't know how to sign it. They don't know how to do anything. And you get your paycheck and they're looking at it like, well, what do I do with it? And I'm like, you're how old and you don't know how to deposit a check from your payroll. Like it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous actually. Your life experiences have, have really, not only do they make you who you are today, but you you have an incredible story that you're going to be helping a lot of other people show them how to live successfully, show them how to overcome hardship, mm-hmm. how to be resilient. And that's one of the things I admire most about you is, is that you are an overcomer. And when I see you, I still see, I mean, a part of me still sees you, that little girl in the diapers. Right. And I, but it's cute. I see it. You're like, like uh, Jr. junior's age, but I also see you as somebody who you are, you are keeping your family together. I remember that from our, one of our conversations. And my question is this, what person or persons have impacted you to the person you are today? I have this couple that when I was younger and I was in like middle school, I used to go to church with, they used to bring me to church every single Wednesday. And um, so her name is Chrissy and her husband's name is Chad. They have four kids. They have two older ones. And then the two younger ones are like, you know, a little bit significant in age. There's probably like between the older two and the younger two, there's maybe like five or six years, maybe, maybe I'm a little off. Um, but throughout my throughout all that time in middle school, you know, middle school was really hard for me. I was homeschooled. It was like an awkward time. You know, my parents were fighting a lot. I didn't really have anybody there. So they were kind of like my parental, like my parental stability. And that's what I had. Over the years, after I stopped going there and I went to high school, I kind of lost touch with them. And then I had the baby. After I had the baby, uh, Miss Chrissy actually reached out to me and, you know, she's like, you know, you look like you're doing so well, blah, blah, blah. Come to find out that she, the doctor who delivered my son delivered one of her kids too, which is super crazy because, you know, like, what are the odds that, that the doctor who delivered my baby delivered your baby too? And so it just, I just knew that it was just meant for us to, you know, get back into each other's lives. She always calls me her adopted daughter because her family, imagine if like there was a whole like adoption and everything, her family, her, her parents, her husband's parents, their siblings, like they all look at me as like a part of their family. Like they buy me Christmas presents. I go there for my birthday. I go there for holidays. Like these, 
these two people have really taken me under their wing and tried to really give me that family that I never really had and that stability. So once I had Junior, they became a really, really strong um, support system for me. Um, I went through a lot of time periods where I had really, really bad postpartum after my after I had Junior. And uh, obviously, my baby father was not the greatest. And we would get into a lot of physical altercations. Um, a lot of physical altercations. He was very like mentally abusive. And because of that, it put me into a really, really bad depression. Um, I had to go to the hospital a couple of times because I just, you know, didn't think that I was going to be able to make it. Um, every single time I thought I needed to go or there was any doubt that I was, you know, in one of these moods, they would just come up to my house. You can sleep on the couch. If you're on drugs or anything, you can just sleep on the couch. You know, you, you can, do just stay here, you know, just be safe. And it's not like I was on drugs or anything like that, but in case I'm like super depressed and they think that that's what's happening, they just want me to be safe. Um, she always said that she would keep junior for me no matter what, however long it was. I just, if I needed to focus on myself, do it. Don't worry about him. He was going to be in good hands no matter what, you know, financially, uh, physically everything. And right before I moved into my apartment, this apartment after I went to the shelter, I spent the night at their house. And I remember having this conversation and I call him my dad. Um, I having a conversation with Chad and he kept on telling me, he's like, Emily, you really need to start looking at the people who are involved in your life, the people who you choose to, to be close to you because the top five people, if you choose the top five people that are the most important people to your life and that's your circle, if they're doing well and they're trying to do do better in life, you're going to like, he said, you're like, you become your friends. When you're hanging around a lot of people, you become like them, no matter what you pick up on certain things that they say. And you don't think that, but I noticed with some of my friends, there are certain things that I started to say. I'm like, I never say this, you know, but I'm saying this because so-and-so is saying it, but he was like, if you want to, if you want to be successful in life, you need to make sure that the top five people in your life are people who are, who are on that, on that climb to success as well, because you want to be a positive influence and you want to be getting there with your people. You don't want people holding you back. And unfortunately there are some people in your life. You may think that you're going to be best friends with them forever. You may think that this person's going to be by, be, be by your side till the end. I literally thought I was going to be with his dad forever. And we didn't even make it. We didn't even make it through my pregnancy. You know, we didn't even make it together through my pregnancy. It was over way before it was even anything. So I just needed to be positive and, and stop. And I needed to learn how to, how to um, just basically make those top five people in my life people that I want to be like or people that I want to be able to grow with. Because like I said about friendships is sometimes you think that that person's going to be there forever, but you start excelling like this and they start falling behind. And when they start falling behind, as much as it hurts to cut them off or not be there or whatever, you have to do that for yourself because you can't let them drag you down anymore. Cause I let so many people drag me down. And now in 2020, I feel like I, when I thought that I had, you know, grown like two, three years and was, was becoming successful and everything, it like pulled me back another like two years and you can't ever get time back. Like that's never something that you can get back. And so it's, 
it's hard, but definitely, definitely Chad and Chrissy, if I didn't have them right now, and if I didn't have them at all, like those, those, that's my mom and dad. Like those are my true parents. They, they're there for me whenever, if I need anything, I call them. Even if I just want to be like, hi, like, you know, I got an A on my test or something, you know, like I can just, I just call them for that. Or if I call them, like, I'm just hungry and I just don't have any food. I'm just going to come up and get some food. I go up there and I always leave with the whole trunk full of stuff. Like they, they will never let me go hungry. They will never let junior go hungry. They will, if, if they could have let me stay in their house, they would have, but they have four kids and there was no way that I was going to put that pressure on them to let me live in their house when I could have just gone to, when I, when I just went to the shelter instead, that was, you know, I had to do that. Emily, um, there's a saying and I'll edit it. Opinions are like a-holes. Everyone's got them and they all stink. stink. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard that before. And I feel like that's what you're trying to say, or that's the advice you've heard from people. It's like your circle of friends start to influence you, but everybody's out there telling you their two cents, right? And it starts to like fill your mind. Like we actually start to care. And the best advice is to not care about other people's opinions. Exactly. So I'm curious. And but you can't let it affect your life because at the end of the yes. day, like I'm responsible for making myself happy. So if I don't make myself happy first, I can't go out there and think that somebody else is going to be going to be able to make me happy because they're not, because I'm not happy with myself. And that was something that I really had to, I really had to learn to love myself because I was so angry at myself for making all these wrong decisions and continuously making these wrong decisions. And it would get me so depressed And then I, you know, I never really learned my lesson. And because of that, I actually ended up having a miscarriage in March, right before Corona happened. And that was something else. And that was another struggle. That was probably one of the biggest struggles that I've ever had to go through in my life. Like, and I knew that I was going to be a single mom of two kids, but I still made that choice that I was going to keep my baby. So when I ended up losing my baby, um, I cried every single day. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know how to continue living. Um, I didn't even know how to get out of bed and take care of my son because it was, it was just one of those situations where like, I've, you know, I've lost people, I've lost friends, but like losing something that you physically carry inside your body. And it might've only been like, I was, I was only about like two, two and a half weeks but I was already popping. Everybody already knew I was pregnant. Like it wasn't anything that I could hide anymore. And it, it actually landed me in the hospital at the end of July. I was in the hospital for about five days. They locked me in the psych ward because it just got to a point where I was texting one of my best, best friends that I've been friends with since I was in kindergarten. And, uh, I don't even think anybody knows me as well as she does, but I just kept on texting her and she knew something was off. She was like, you know, I'm just going to come pick you up. I don't really know what's going on, but like, there's something off about you, you know, make sure your son is at the babysitters and I'm going to pack a bag for you. Like, you know, like I'll set it all up. She uh, set up with Holy Cross, called them, let them know what was going on. I got there. It was not an easy experience, especially when you, you know, are realizing that they have you in a observation room because they think you're going to kill yourself. And I don't want to say that I was at the point where like, okay, I've gotten to the point now where I've finally been able to come to terms with what it was and realize that had I not gone to the hospital, had my friend not taken me, 
I probably would have figured out a way to kill myself. I just was so defeated and I felt like I had nothing to live for because if God took my baby from me, then especially at being a little girl and I knew she was going to be like a little mini me more than my son is, it was just, I, I just, I just couldn't handle it. But I have to say that I had one of the most amazing support systems and amazing support groups through all of it. And now it's what, uh, November 29th. And I think the last, like my due date was October 3rd. And that might've been the last time that I cried, but I actually had, I woke up on October 3rd or October 2nd. And I woke up with like my chest, literally, it felt like somebody was stepping on my chest and I couldn't breathe. And I started sobbing. I started panicking. So I had a panic attack. I had to call 911. I went to the hospital and literally all it was, was that the doctors basically told me that it was like a broken heart. And after that, I, you know, knew that it was hard and it was going to be really hard. But every single day now, like somehow, I don't know how, but I've changed my mentality to kind of just realize that, okay, yes, it got taken away from me, but there's a reason for it. There's a reason that it happened. It might not have been, you know, the best situation, but even something like this, if I can reach out to somebody and let them know that, you know, obviously miscarriages are super common. I didn't know that. I knew nothing about that, but it's okay to cry. It's okay to not be okay. Because in that situation, I realized that I'm never going to be okay. I will never be okay. But every single day, some days I'm going to be okay. And some days I'm not. And that's, and that's just how it is. And that's okay. And it's okay to not be okay. And that's what I really had to come to terms with is that it was okay to not be okay because I just thought that it wasn't okay that I wasn't okay and that I had to figure out a way to to get over it and move past it. But when you lose a child, whether your child was living or your child was inside you, you know, it it's some it's something that it changes you in a way that you become a, a different person. And after I lost my baby, I think that I've become a completely different person in so many ways. But again, like I said, coming to terms with that, with the fact that you're not always going to be okay is what gets me through the day. So you've had obviously an incredible life experiences already so far. And I think a lot of people are probably listening to this. There's tons of mothers out there who have lost children and miscarriages. And it's beyond sad, obviously, to go through that. Now that you've had these experiences, and you said you've grown, you become a different person. What, what one piece of advice would you give the listeners to help them live their best life? The biggest thing is that most people tell you when you have a kid, especially when you have a kid young, your life is over. And I really thought about that. I thought, oh my goodness, my life is over. How, what am I going to do? How am I going to be able to get through it? But your problems are never your problems until you're physically crossing that bridge right then and there. You can think about it. You can stress yourself out and you can, you can get stressed every single day. But until you're crossing that bridge of when it's happening, it's not a problem that you need to create in your head because you're just creating something that's, that's just going to make you go crazy. And then you're going to be stressed. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to be super upset. But just because you have a kid or just because life 
shoots you back a few years than where you think you're going to be doesn't mean that you're never going to overcome it. Because even at this point, I don't think I've overcome it, but I'm 25. I'm a single mom. I have my own apartment. My son is alive. My son is happy. He has everything that he needs. I have a job and I'm in school. And on top of that, I keep my son here while I'm taking my classes because learning or teaching him that this is mommy's school time and this is the time that I need to focus on me and you need to sit over here and play with your toys or you need to do what you need to do is really important really important for him to see me actually working instead of being like, you know, mommy's always says she's in school, but I'm always at the babysitter's house. So I don't, you know, he's not going to know this, but since he's a lot older, I think it's important that not necessarily to prove anybody wrong, because at the end of the day, you don't need to prove anything for anybody but yourself, but being able for me, myself, like I didn't think that I was even going to be able to potty train my son. I never thought that I was going to be able to do it. I thought my babysitter was going to do it. And that that was going to be one thing as a mother that I never did. And it was going to make me feel like a failure, but my son is potty trained. He wears his diaper only at night. And it took us about a month of like doing it. And because of that, like just working at it every single day and, and, and pushing to get to the next level is that there's always that next level you can reach. There's always help that you can get. You may think that you don't have, the finance, you know, the finances to be able to do it, but there's always way, there's always ways to be able to get financial help. Single mothers have a lot of help through the government. I have a lot of help with like my internet, cell phone, stuff like that. Like I get a lot of benefits. There's even a scholarship that I can get through Montgomery College because I went through the shelter. So there's so many different ways of help. And the shelter obviously opened up a lot more opportunities for me too because it allowed me to get myself back to where I needed to be financially so that I could continue to keep on going. But I wouldn't have known that unless I went. Thank you so much. You are, like I said, very, very brave and very resilient. And the, the model that you're going to give your children, and I believe you will have more children uh, with the right man, of course, is that you're going to show them what it takes to be successful because you get to define that. And one of the things that sets you apart, and this is what uh, this is one of your strengths, is that you own it, mm-hmm. and that no one can take that away from you. Yeah, and that kind of responsibility says that you know, it it's, it speaks about your character and your integrity, and there's nothing wrong about that. And I think that when people see and get to know you and and learn about your story, you know, they'll be inspired. I'm very. Seeing him happy, like seeing my son smile and just seeing him be like, mommy, I love you. You know, it's just, it's one of the most amazing experiences. I'm not going to lie up until two, two months ago, he's really bad. Like he's really bad. And, uh, I, you know, I just got to the point where like, you know, instead of always being like, well, I feel bad for him because I made him go through the shelter with me and I made him do this and I made him do that. So then instead of, you know, being hard on him, I'm soft on him. And now I realize how hard it is for me because he's not listening. So it's not okay for me to just be this softy and think, oh, just because I did this for him, I did this for him, I did this for him. You know, I don't, but I owe it to myself to be firm and be a good mother. And part of being a good mother is being able to discipline your child. And I didn't learn that until my friend, he started coming around and he started being able to explain that to me 
a little bit better and then having somebody else there to kind of, you know, you tell them no. And then there's nobody else to be like, yeah, your mom said no, you know? So they're just like, okay, who cares? We can go do whatever we want. But like, no, he's, he's finally being able to learn. And that's, it's, it's, it makes me as a mother feel so happy for once knowing that, you know, I obviously was at a place where at one point I was like, I can't take care of my son. I can't do it. And I just had a conversation with my friend on Thanksgiving and I haven't talked to him in like a year and a half, but he was like, you know, Emily, the last time we talked, we had this whole conversation where you told me you couldn't be a good mother. There was no way that you could do this. It was too hard for you. You didn't think that you were going to be able to get through it or anything. And he was like, and look where you're at now. He was like, you know, it might not be on top of the world, but in my, in my world, I'm already on top of the world because I'm just going to keep on excelling. And I know what I'm capable of. And I know the time that I have to, you know, dedicate to what I'm doing and especially school, taking care of my son, you know, like I have to be consistent and I'm learning all these other things. And that's just things that I never learned growing up either. You know, I didn't really have stability growing up. My parents were around, but we could just go out and do whatever we wanted, come and go whenever we wanted. My parents never texted me and said, Hey, it's 10 o'clock. Where are you? They would just be like, well, I just, you know, didn't ask you. So I figured you wouldn't answer. And I'm like, I mean, you're my parent at the end of the day, if you want to know where I'm at and I'm in your car, you, you have to ask, you know? So just being able to feel like I've accomplished something has, has been, has been a lot. So we're going to wrap this up. Um, for those people who have listened to you or watched this tonight and would like to connect with you, first, are you good with that? And what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? Um, yeah, no, I'm absolutely good with that. I always want people to feel like they can connect with me because when I was going through my shelter and I was going through the situation that I was in, I know what kind of friend I needed and I know what kind of person that I needed that I wish that I had there. And going through that process, obviously, and being able to do this is allowing me the opportunity to be able to be there for somebody else the way that I needed somebody to be there for me. And so I know that everybody I reach out to or everybody that reaches out to me, like, you're never going to be alone anymore because I'm always going to be here. So unless something happens to me tomorrow, you know, like I'm here to help you through the situation. But probably the easiest would be through like Facebook. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I can give my email. What is your email address? My email is E M period H as in Henry S as in Sam I E H the number nine one zero at iCloud.com. And then my Facebook is just my name, Emily Shea, H S I E H. And then it just has parentheses. It has my, my Asian name, but it's probably easier if you email me first. And then if you want to connect on Facebook, I can probably add you. Thank you so much for your time, Emily. I love you. you. Thank you guys for having me on this. I'm, I'm really excited. It, It was, it was really awesome. To learn more about Ivy and the CIA, go to ivyandthecia.com. To learn more about Dan Crum, go to dancrum.com.